A lot of people set goals and they have the best of intentions in the world, but they don't realize how many crap sandwiches they're gonna have to eat in order to achieve those goals. And if you want the goals, you gotta be willing to eat the sandwich. So you have a passion for fitness and the desire to start your own business. But launching a massively successful fitness business is extremely complex. The systems, operations, hiring, firing, coaching, sales, and marketing are critical to success. Where do you even start? This show will give you the answers. Here is Bedros Koulian and Bryce Henson, your hosts of the Fitness Franchise Podcast. A show dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs launch and grow successful gyms. Welcome, Fitness Franchise Podcast Nation. I am your host, Bryce Henson, and boy, do we have an amazing episode today, as today's guest is a dear friend of mine. So, providing an introduction here, um, today's guest opened his first Fit Body location in Grand Haven, Michigan, back in 2013 with $100,000 in student debt, all while living in his grandma's basement. He first bootstrapped his first location on credit cards, and then fast forward today, he now owns and operates nine Fitbody locations with over 60 full-time team members. And since 2013, uh, when getting started, his business has grossed over $28 million. But more importantly, his team has helped their clients lose well over a half a million documented pounds of fat and helped over 250 clients lose 50 pounds or more, including 11 clients losing over 100 pounds. Now, his nonprofit, which is called The Big Give, has donated well over a half a million dollars to kids in need in his local community. And he is also the vice president of product and results at Fitbody Bootcamp uh, International and co-leader of the Fitbody Elite Mastermind. So I am beyond excited to welcome my good friend, business partner, Matt Wilbur. Matteo, welcome to the welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> so uh, what did I lead off, leave off in that awesome introduction of yours? Uh, th those introductions are always very awkward for me. Um, I think you got it all. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, you are a massively successful guy. Um, our uh, our franchise's most successful owner. Um, if you are Fit Body Bootcamp location, you know of the name Matt Wilbur. Um, so before we kind of talk about your accolades and your business success and, and really diving into that, um, what's your backstory? How did you get started, and how did you come to you know be the Matt Wilbur you are today? Yeah, growing up, you never would think I was going to be in this position, but I grew up, uh, I always say the token chubby kid. Uh, so I grew up, I was overweight my entire life. I always played sports, but I was always overweight. Um, and I could go on and on about how being overweight and self-conscious and all that held me back from uh, having a great childhood. I'd be the person that uh, would actually figure out how to get out of gym class when it was time to go swimming so I didn't have to take my shirt off in, in front of uh, the other kids and so when I was 13 um, in wrestling season freshman year I cut a bunch of weight and that was like the first time in my life I ever felt like I was a normal weight uh, person and that really transformed the rest of my life because of the self-confidence it gave me um, and then when I was 13 I got my first gym membership and I started working out and I started loving working out in the way that it made me feel. So I lost weight freshman year of high school, started working out when I was 13 and, and got the bug from there and started becoming obsessed with learning about fitness and training and nutrition um, and behavior change. And then I went to uh, college and got my uh, 
exercise science degree from Grand Valley State University, and then I went on to get my master's degree in exercise physiology from Western Michigan, and then I graduated, um, and where I'm from, there was no job opportunities. I took a job as the strength and conditioning coach um, at my high school, and then I was also working 10 hours a week as a personal trainer for a physical therapy company that wanted to launch a personal training uh, brand inside of their, their existing business. Mm -hmm. I was making a whopping $2,000 a month, living in my grandma's basement, $100,000 in student loan debt, and then I decided to open my own business inside of a powerhouse gym and focus on transformations. And that's when I found Bedros online. I was looking at marketing videos. And at that time, if you looked anything online about fitness marketing or running a, a gym, you were going to find Bedros. And I watched one of his videos and he talked about how boot camps were amazing. You could leverage your time, you could help more people. And I wasn't very smart and it sounded like it made sense. So I took action and I started a boot camp inside a powerhouse gym and started an eight week challenge where we combine nutrition with, with the workouts and clients got amazing results. And then I kept watching video after video after video of Bedros and found out he was the CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp. And basically three months later, I pulled the trigger. I was in California at university. And as they say, the, the rest is history. <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack there, my friend. Um, one of the things I actually want to touch on, and uh, you're uh, a really, really sharp guy. Um, and a lot of fitness pros, I guess myself included, didn't really have a, a good foundation education actually in the fitness space. But you are definitely uh, one of them who, who have. And obviously getting your master's degree, um, I always tease with you, you are uh, Mateo Musk, a uh, really smart engineer when it comes to education and really kind of program design um, so talk us uh, talk to, to us and the viewers about kind of the foundation of your education and really how that you know getting your undergrad and, and your graduate degree um, in the space has really helped you obviously you know in your career as a, as a fitness pro um, I wouldn't say like that's the that's the key to success because I think the key is to have a continual growth mindset and always searching to learn more um, so I would say my form I have formal education I'll say that but I've learned more in the 10 years outside of college than I did inside of college. So learning from experts, but always seeking experts in whatever it is, uh, I think that has been my key to learning. But yes, I have the foundational education, um, which is great, but really it's been me seeking out the information and so much of what I apply today inside of our Fit Body Boot Camps comes from not my formal education, but outside of my formal education. But I do think that the formal education um, grounded me in, you know, true science principles when it comes to physiology and nutrition and how the body works and how it functions. And then being able to layer on, I've probably spent well over $100,000 in continued education um, beyond what I spent on my formal education. Uh, so for me, it's always about seeking knowledge, seeking experts, and learning from the best in their fields. And I, I think that's the fastest way to grow. Yeah, good for you. A lot of lessons there. Um, okay, so I don't want to jump into you know 2013 yet. I mean, you kind of gave the overview. Um, you talked about kind of getting a boot camp going within Powerhouse. What you know work experience did you have? Like professional work experience, um, did you have that really translated or helped you uh, launching your first Fit Body location in 2013? Can you walk us through that? So growing up, I always had a job. Since pretty much the age of 13, I had a job and, and my mom always, she basically, if you want the higher end stuff, you're gonna pay half. 
Uh, so I always had to basically pay half for everything. So I always was working. I was playing sports. I was working. Um, so having a work ethic has always been ingrained into me. But then when you look back at all the jobs that I've had, um, I've been able to apply something from most of those jobs into what I do in business today. For example, I worked at Home Depot for uh, five years, and one of their core values was um, customers first. Um, so everything was about customers are first, and then I've applied that into my business as well. Uh, but every single step of the way, I've learned something. But when I was in grad school, um, I was working at Home Depot. I was a full-time graduate assistant, and then I was also working as a personal trainer at the local gym. So my schedule was full. I was also a teaching graduate assistant, which was about 20 hours a week. And then on the weekends, I would come home and, and work at Home Depot. And a really funny story is when I was graduating, um, so when I was graduating, I thought I wanted to, to be a personal trainer. So when I was graduating with my master's degree, my graduate advisor told me I was too smart to be a personal trainer. Um, so I was like, all right, I guess I'm too smart to be a personal trainer. What the heck am I going to do with my life? Um, at one time, I thought I wanted to do strength and conditioning. So I did an internship at the University of Michigan because at the time that was the best place to get an internship um, with strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. I realized I didn't want to do that. But then when I started uh, training people, I did realize that's what I want to do. There was so much more fulfillment in helping somebody transform their life than it was to add an extra second or take a tenth of a second off their 40 time or add 10 pounds to their bench press. Um, being able to help average everyday people transform their life and take back control of their life was something that I wanted to do. And I almost suppressed it because one person told me I was too smart to be a personal trainer. And then my uncle, uh, I was telling him he was visiting from Minnesota. I told him I was going to be a personal trainer. And he's like, how are you ever gonna make a living being a personal trainer? So I had all these negative influences on me as well. <laughs> but back to your question, I learned something from every job and I really pride myself on learning something from every situation. Um, and as I've grown, I've learned how to look at situations from different lenses which then give me different perspectives, which then allow me to apply lessons in a different way. And I'll get into that probably in a little bit later. Copy that. Um, man, there's, there's a lot here, which is uh, you know, certainly a, a reason that you've been successful. All right, so let's transition now to 2013, and certainly not just 2013, but now you're a Fit Body Bootcamp owner. You, you, you get on the map. Um, very quickly, your name started to kind of spread within the franchise. Um, you know, what, what Walk us through that journey, and granted, it's been you know going on uh, eight nine years now. Um, kind of give us a thirty thousand foot view of of the the path that you've went on, the successes that you've had, the lessons that you've learned, and also too uh, the mistakes along the way. Because you know, at least from a franchisee perspective, you know, seeing your massive success, I think it's very easy for people to say like, well, the guy has no problems, everything just you know runs on autopilot. Um, so give us the big picture, not only like the the big. Uh, value and highlights, but also some of the struggles, trials, and tribulations that you've been through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I opened my first location in 2013 in Grand Haven, Michigan. I opened, my first location was 1,700 square feet, and I had to bootstrap that on basically no interest, 18-month credit cards, and I, I maxed them out. So basically, whatever I could, uh, I maxed them out. I had the at the time, the buy-in was $10,000 for Fit Body. I had that much money, and that's how much money I had. 
and I, I dropped that and then I got creative, I got resourceful and that will be a lesson that applies to everybody is along the way I got resourceful. Um, so open the first location, me and my dad built out the entire location so I was doing my other business, uh, I was the strength and conditioning coach at the high school and then basically when I wasn't training clients we were building out that first location because I didn't have any money, I couldn't hire a contractor, I couldn't. Mm -hmm that was all the money that I had and by the time I was done I ran out of money so I had to put dumbbells on the floor kettlebells on the floor I had no racking for stuff because I couldn't afford it because I ran out of money um, but what I had was a lot of passion for what I was doing and I grinded from 4 a.m. basically to 10 o'clock at night and just repeated I was my only employee I did everything I did the workouts um, and at the time, our system has changed, but at the time, I had a block rocker and an, I, an iPod, and I was screaming and yelling, and by Wednesday, I had absolutely no voice, but I loved it. But it was every day, I would meet with clients, and at the time, 1,700 square foot facility, I'd meet with clients one-on-one, -on -one, and I didn't even have an office to meet with clients. I, I basically put a table, where people walked in and, and when we weren't training, I was meeting with clients one-on-one, -on -one, um, going over their plans, selling the memberships, and that was my day on repeat. I would answer the phones, I would answer the emails. Eventually, one of our clients, uh, we, were, we were out to dinner and she says, I think you need some help. I was like, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Um, what, would you like to help me? And, but at the time, I was like, I don't think I can afford uh, a team member, but uh, she she basically gave me a very good discount uh, to to work with us, and she worked for ten hours. And basically, what it was is I would she would set up the appointment, I would sit down, I'd meet with the clients, and then she would come in at seven thirty in the morning for sessions, and she would take that and she'd process uh, the the membership. But that helped me big time because those were things I, I didn't like doing. Mm -hmm. I still answered the phones, I still answer the emails, but the way she would set the appointment is somebody would come in for a free week and they would fill out their park queue and she would take that park queue, she would set the appointment and then I would meet with them and then we just kept doing that. But as we went, I just kept offloading things that I really sucked at doing so that I could focus on the things that inherently drove the business. And then eventually I got a, a morning coach because the, the grind was getting crazy. I couldn't keep doing 4 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night and do all the other things that I do during the day. So um, I got a, a morning coach and then eventually we got, got more coaches. So as we went, I just kept offloading things. It took me a very long time to give up the phone and give up the emails because I thought no one could do it better than I could do it and I didn't want to miss anybody and I wanted to ensure that every single person got a great experience and everyone who was interested, I got them in the door, uh, but eventually I started giving up control and, and now we have over 60 team members across all our locations. Whew. I love that story. Um, there's, there's again, a lot to unpa unpack there. Um, it's interesting. So, you know, when someone's on the outside looking at gym, uh, owning a gym, right? And seeing the, the ability to leverage your time, help more impact with people. Um, but, you know, it's interesting for you, you didn't have the funding, like you literally started from the ground up. Um, to me, it seems like you just had a lot of passion towards this. So what would you say for, for the average person, like exploring, uh, you know, uh, 
to open a gym. What would be your advice in terms of you know what they need in terms of factory installed passion towards the fitness industry? Because we see all types, right? People who are super interested, who are not just seeing a business model. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, we're, we're definitely in the people business and we're definitely in the passion business. If you're not passionate about what we do, if you're not passionate about helping people, th this is the wrong business. There's there's other businesses to, to make money in, but if you're super passionate about people and you wanna change people's lives, there, there is no better business and there's no more important business on planet Earth than, than what we do. But ultimately, you have to go into it not having a plan B, there's only a plan A. And I remember when I bought into the franchise, my mom, she's like, what are you gonna do if this doesn't work? What, what's, your, what's your plan B? And I told her, there is no plan B, there's plan A and I'm going to succeed. So when you go into it with going, I mean, it's okay to pivot. Mm -hmm. you're, you're gonna have to pivot, you're gonna have to change. Uh, during COVID, during 2020, I pivoted the training model 10 different times in a year based on uh, the rules and regulations by our state. So you are gonna to have to pivot, but you can't go in with other options. Failure can't be an option. And if you only go in that I'm going to succeed or die, you'll eventually figure it out. You will solve the problems, but it's, it's how you ask yourself questions. And, and I truly believe successful people ask different questions than non-successful people. Successful people say, how can I? And then non-successful people say, why can't I? You'll find a million reasons why you can't, but if you ask the right questions, you'll find a million reasons why you can. And it's really corny. Um, my dad didn't teach me a ton of things, but one of the things that he, he did teach me, he's always said, when there's a Wilbur, there's a way. Um, and really that just means that there is always a way. You just need to be resourceful. So for me, what separates a lot of entrepreneurs are the ones willing to be resourceful and have the FIO figure it out mentality and I've just had that from from day one because failure wasn't an option but I see too many people starting an, an endeavor with already excuses why they're gonna fail and, and you can't come in with that because your brain is going to go to work mm -hmm. to make your beliefs and your thoughts come true so if you come in thinking that you're gonna fail inevitably what do you think is gonna happen mm -hmm. right so you got to come in with a winning mindset and the problem is a lot of people when they're first starting in business they have negative beliefs, they have negative thoughts, they don't have self-confidence. Um, so you really have to work on those things when you come into it, but come into it with that mentality and I promise you will figure it out. Amen to that. All right, so um, kind of diving back in, you laid the foundation of how you know you got first got started, went all in, invested everything to make this happen. You know, built your first location uh, from the ground up. Um, that's one thing, right, Matt? But it's another thing to scale to uh, nearly a. a, a, a 10 locations, having a massive footprint on the west side of Michigan. So talk to me about the scaling process because there's a lot of viewers out long, uh, that are listening in saying like, okay, it's great. Like I do want to open one, but I do have bigger visions to have a bigger footprint. So what was that process like? What skills did you have to learn across the way? And then, you know, what are the challenges that you experienced in the process of going from one to nine? Absolutely. I mean, we could talk about challenges for, for the next hour. So we're <laughs> We'll go light on the challenges, but Fair. it's really about growing people. We are in the people business and growing, especially in fitness, well, you're, you're not growing necessarily just systems and processes, you're growing culture. 
And what makes what we do super sticky is having a great culture, having a team that's bought into the vision, bought into your core values, live and breathe your core values, and then that distills down into the clients. Um, so if you want something super sticky, it is all about the culture, it is all about people because our coaches are our product, but we're also in an industry that has 78% turnover, right? And then usually the people that we are hiring, the team members we're hiring um, are millennial age or even, I don't even know what the, the one below that is, but what they find is people, their, their first job out of college, which typically we are, whether they're going from an internship or they just completed their degree and now they want to, to pursue a career in, in fitness, we may be their first job, we may be their first real job. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, they find that basically the first job out of college, you don't stay for a year or longer in that job. So not only are we facing 78% turnover, we're also hiring a lot of younger people because fitness tends to be a younger person's career. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also dealing with that and you have some people that haven't yet figured out what they want in their life. And unfortunately, they may decide in under a year that, you know what, fitness isn't right for me. Um, so the problem with that is now there's a ton of change. Our coaches build relationships with our clients and that's what we teach them. Mm -hmm. We don't just want to train them. We also want to build relationships and have an amazing culture. But with that, the problems become now you lose those relationships. So you can scale skills. Skills are easy to scale. Like if you're not the greatest skilled trainer in the world, we can skill you up very quick. I can't teach you to be a good person, but what you can't change, like what you can't replace overnight is that relationship, right? So as we've scaled, you can imagine that the amount of turnover, so our turnover in our locations is under 20%, uh, which for how many people we have is really good compared to the 78%. Yeah. Uh, that's the average in the fitness industry. But with that, as we've scaled and we've grown, that just means there's more turnover all the time. So depending on the location, uh, there might be some turnover over here, some turnover over here, some turnover over here. When we were small, I could jump in and, and take care of like any problem that, that existed. Now that we're big, I can't solve the problems that I used to solve. I can't just jump in and take sessions and build relationships with clients and make everything okay anymore. Right. Um, so now the turnover gets a little, a little bit more painful. Um, and what I've, what I've learned along the way is, so again, we can scale the product. What's been the hardest to scale is scaling the ability to manage and lead others. Those are skills that have to be developed. And the biggest mistakes I've ever made is basically promoting a coach who was a great coach um, who we thought could lead, but yet they haven't yet gained those management and leadership skills. So that's been the most painful part of scaling is uh, trying to skill up our coach's ability to manage and lead others. And leading others, uh, a lot of people like think leadership's the, the key. For me, it's can you manage others? And management of other people is the hardest thing on planet Earth um, and it's a learned skill. I don't think anyone's just a good manager overnight. I think it takes multiple years of learning how to be a good manager, learning what not to do um, as much as what to do. So I've made a lot of management mistakes. I've made a lot of leadership mistakes. 
but it's really putting the right people in the right seat on the right bus. Um, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you can read every book on planet earth, but until you're actually in the arena, actually doing it, you are going to make mistakes. And I think that's what prevents a lot of people from taking the next step is because they're fearful because they don't know how to do it or what to do, which is a benefit of being a part of the franchise benefit of getting coaching from us mm -hmm. is we've, we've been there. We've done that. The stuff we create now is, you know, our eight, nine, 10 years of learning. And we get to teach that to a brand new franchisee. And we make Ooh. the joke like, man, you get eight to nine to 10 years of our <laughs> crap and yep. you don't even have to make the mistakes anymore because we've already made them and we get to teach you what not to do. Um, there's so much value in that, but I'm very thankful for learning the, the mistakes and um, it is a learning lesson. I get eight years of lessons of what not to do, um, but I've paid my dues, but it's been very painful. When a coach leaves, when there's turnover, clients are upset, team members are upset, and how, having to navigate them through those transition points are, are really tough. And I'll just give you an example of what we're going through right now in one of our locations. Please. Uh, I find that when it rains, it pours. When, when one coach leaves, it kind of feels like multiple coaches and multiple things happen at one time. It's not just one thing you have to solve for. It feels like, man, one coach goes, it's like, who's, who's next? But in one of our locations, uh, one of our facility leaders who's been with us for five years, absolutely amazing, love the guy to death, um, decided that at his point in his life, he has a one-year-old son. At this point in his life, he wanted a, a nine to five career, which we know the fitness industry is not a nine to five career. No, sir. We train people uh, when outside of when normal people work, right? So we need to be there at early in the morning. We got to be there late at night. Um, and he decided it was time to find a nine to five that was going to fit more into the, the lifestyle and the family life that he wanted to have. Um, we also at the time made a bad hiring uh, decision. So we decided to let a team member go because they were within their first 90 days and it just, it wasn't vibing. They, they didn't fit our values. They weren't going to get to the level that we needed to get them to. Uh, so we decided that it was time to cut ship and cut bait. Um, and then we had another coach who, who's an amazing coach decided he wants to train athletes and that what we do at boot camp no longer vibed with what he wanted to do. Uh, so all in a times period. And we have a coach that's going on maternity leave for 12 weeks. So that's one location um, at one time. And being able to navigate that is really difficult on top of. I have eight other locations that, that we have to worry about that all have different things going on uh, as well. So um, scaling and growing sounds sexy and it sounds awesome and it looks great on paper, but ultimately you have to start getting good at solving problems um, and being good at managing and developing and leading people. If you don't get good at those things, scaling and growing is going to be uh, a nightmare, but unfortunately, you're gonna to have to learn lessons as you go. And as you put in the reps, you'll get better and better and make less mistakes, but you'll always make mistakes. If you're, if you're playing the game and you're in the arena, you're gonna make mistakes. There's going to be problems. And, and there's a reason why they say that the tip of the spear is bloody. And as a leader, you're the tip of the spear. It is a bloodbath sometimes and it gets very bloody, uh, but that's the name of the game. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but there's many days where I'm like, 
man when's this get easier Uh, (laughs) it just never gets easier right we just get better at solving problems amen to that there's a lot there there's one point that i really want to kind of get further clarification insight from your perspective you said it's leading is one thing but really the key to it is really being able to manage people can you describe and really differentiate in your words the difference between leadership and management so Obviously, leadership is, I really look at leadership as we're, we're taking them, them somewhere. We're, we're growing them. We're developing them. We're getting the most out of them. Uh, we're getting them focused on the, uh, the mission, the vision, the values of our company. We're driving the culture. Like for me, that, that's all leadership stuff. It's the sexy stuff. It's the stuff yeah. we love to do. Yeah. Uh, it's the management of others that's where it really gets messy. The better you lead, the easier it is to manage. Uh, the worse you manage, the harder it is to, to, to lead others. But that's really actually, you know, when there's disciplinary things that have to happen or accountability, management in many aspects is accountability of others and ensuring that the team is is holding the standard and holding people to a standard is really hard to do consistently that's why you see amazing programs like the alabamas of the world and you're like man how do they hold that standard for so long it's because they're really good at leading and managing others but more managing they hold everybody to that standard but it's it's tough because people don't want to play at that high of a standard for, for that long. And, but you have to, as a manager, you know, when something goes wrong, you got to address it right away. And a lot of us don't like to address problems. And as a manager, you gotta address it. And the sooner you can address it, the better it's gonna be. The longer you take to address things, the worse it's going to be. But you also are managing personalities. And one of the, the biggest things that we've been incorporating in, in our brand um, is take flight for learning, which evolves around the disc, but it's really mm-hmm. learning people's personality types. Mm-hmm. And within any team, you have multiple different personality types. And every single person needs to be led and managed in a different way to be the most effective. So you have to be able to adapt how you lead and manage to every single team member. And I think most leaders and managers want every single team member to adapt to them and who they are as a manager and a leader. But if that's what you're crying, then you're not a great manager and you're not a great leader. So it's really learning about people. It's really caring about people. It's about building relationships and getting to know how do I get the most out of every single person? And then how do I manage them effectively to again, to get the most out of them? Copy that. Well, thank you for that insight, my friend. Um, All right. Next up, I do want to shift to your VP role of the entire brand and your zone of genius. But I do want to plug your your you know nonprofit that you started, the Big Give, um, just because it segues a little bit more cleanly with your local location. So, can you give us a little you know insight about what the Big Give is all about, what you've done, and why you're passionate about it? The, the Big Give, which it wasn't called at that time. So the Big Give is a, a nonprofit, and I'll explain why we turned it into a nonprofit. But even that, I'm like, some days I'm like, man, I wish I never did a nonprofit. <laughs> but uh, uh, the first year in business, so we opened in September 2013. That year, around December, we had a social worker, and she was telling us all the needs of some of the kids that she works with, and it pulled at my heartstrings. And I was like, all right, we have to do something about this. 
I went into the school and we got a list, I think it was 20 kids or 20 families at that time, and we raised $3,400 from our clients. And at that time, I was barely profitable, right? Thinking about donating and doing charitable stuff. When I was open for three months, we were barely paying our bills, uh, but it just had a calling to me and I was like, we have to do something. I can't just sit back and not do anything about this. We raised the money, we went shopping, um, and we do it in a much different way than uh, we actually get a list of the wants and needs of these kids, uh, and then we go shopping, which even that is so much work. Uh, that was how it started, then that turned into, the next year turned into 8,400, then 17,000, and then it doubled again to like 36,000, and then 64,000, and then the last two years we've been able to raise over $160,000 each year and help. Wow. I think each year now is like 700 kids that we do. So we work with the school systems. Now it's, it's tons, of, tons of social workers. It's not just one. We get a massive list. We all go shopping. This year it took us two days to do all the shopping. We go back, we wrap the gifts. And uh, we also do some back to school stuff. Wherever there's a need in our community that deals with kids, that's what we do. But two years ago, we started a nonprofit because we had a lot of clients saying, hey, I'm willing to stroke a big check, but I need to write it off. And we couldn't write it off the way that we were previously doing it. So I was like, hmm. all right, we're going to start a nonprofit so clients can write bigger checks. We can raise more money. Businesses are more likely to donate to, yep. to the cause. So we saw the problem and we're like, all right, we got a solution, but down that path, applying to get a, being able to be a nonprofit, doing all the paperwork, doing all the stuff that's required on an annual basis is a pain in the butt, but it's worth it when you think about all the impact that we get to have. And a lot of people, and this is just a lesson that I've learned, a lot of people say, hey, when I get successful, I'm going to start giving back. And I truly believe one of the reasons why I've been successful is because giving back has been a foundation of my business from day one, even before I felt like I was ready to give back. And I truly believe what you put out in the universe, you get back in return. So having that as a foundation from day one, and it also makes your clients proud to be a part of your gym. If you're just a gym, eventually you'll become a commodity. Mm -hmm. How do you stand out in the sea of everyone Everyone's a gym, we're all a commodity, we all do workouts. How do we stand out? How do we create an amazing culture and have a bunch of raving fans and proud of the gym that they go to? Knowing that we give back and we do this every year, our clients are proud to be a part of our gym. Amen to that, man. Hats off. And, uh, you know, I know uh, our franchisees across the way, including myself, just tip your hat, um, you know, for the, the great impact. And it certainly is so important kind of, you know, from our business model of, of pur purpose and passion and impact. And I felt uh, really valuable that the listeners kind of, you know, get at least tuned in um, to, to the plan there. Um, all right. So shifting gears, um, you've had incredible amount of su success as a fitness business owner um, within the brand for a long time. And uh, I think back in 2018, uh, 2019, um, our CEO uh, kind of reached out to you and seeing the incredible transformations that uh, you produce at your locations, which I teed up in the introduction, um, and offered you a VP role of product, of R&D, of client uh, results. So talk to us about, you know, kind of what your passion is, what your zone of genius, how you produce the results that you do, and really your role as vice president of, of our company, um, you're really supporting the franchise, really to teach others to do the same. I would say my zone of genius is is being able to solve problems, but also seeing how all the puzzle pieces fit. 
and always searching for how do we make this better? How do we improve this? Uh, but I, I love solving problems. I don't like puzzles, but I, I like putting all the puzzle pieces together and seeing how everything works um, for the client experience to, to our coaches, to how we run and operate our locations and how it all, and how it all works. Like that's the stuff that, that I geek out on. And I get really geeked out on when we're looking at really the, the pursuit of being the best in the world. And that's the goal because that's what our clients deserve. That's what our franchisees deserve. And uh, that really gets me geeked up and, and keeps me awake at night thinking about how do we improve everything that we do? How do we get better results for our clients? How do we create better systems and processes for our franchisees? Uh, that's the stuff that, that gets me going. Um, but as far as how did I become uh, the, the VP of product and results, obviously in my locations, we, we've had amazing results across our locations. Uh, me and Bejos have been in talks for a very long time. Uh, and, and the goal is to, how do we more duplicate what, what I've been able to do inside of my locations and how do we distill that down into the rest of the franchisees so that we improve um, the delivery of results to our clients because you know, ultimately uh, we are and we wanna be known for being the number one fat loss results when it comes to uh, the fitness franchises, right? So that's our, mm -hmm. our big thing, that's what we focus on and that's what I live and breathe. Uh, in my locations then also for the franchise and then my role is to distill that down to the rest of our franchisees. Yeah, and I think that's so valuable, right? You know, getting into the fitness space and you know, there's a lot of reasons as we're unpacking like why you've been so successful, but I truly know in my heart of hearts, you put your clients first, not only the, the, them as people, but also the results and be able to produce the results you've, you've been able to do, um, you know, it has been absolutely incredible. So I think, you know, a huge value for any fit body owners listening to the call is, you know, have a guy like you uh, masterminding the, the product, the experience, the, the nutrition, the challenges that we do, and actually, I want to pick your brain a little bit on that, uh, the transformation challenges that we've launched as a brand. Um, but it's just a huge value to have, you know, you, um, you know, as the mastermind of these programs um, is a great segue, actually, to the transformation challenges we do. So can you talk a little bit about your role and kind of bring that to the table, what the transformation challenges are, how often we do them, really coloring the details a little bit from a franchise perspective? Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing I just want to touch on when, when we talk about trainers and coaches and, you know, obviously we know we have a lot of people tuning into this, hopefully fitness professionals. And a lot of people think that results is just telling people what to do, right? So that, that's the science side of things. So the science side of things is, you know, here's your cal calorie deficit. Here's your macros. Here's what you need to eat. Here's your meal plan. This is how many times a week you need to work out. Most people don't suffer from what there's, most people know what they need to do. If I said donut, banana, you would know that the banana is better than the donut, right? Yep. Uh, the key is how do you get people to do the things that they inherently already know what they're supposed to do? Um, is the, there's a lot of education that, that goes beyond it, but a lot of it requires coaching and having relationships. And a lot of it comes down to trust between the coach and the person. So we not only with, with our challenges, yes, we, we train our, franchisees on how to prescribe uh, what they need to prescribe from the nutrition to the workout. Uh, we help with the mindset piece of things. So our challenges are all encompassing, but what really makes it work and makes it go is the coaches building a relationship with that client and helping them overcome the struggles and the hurdles that that client faces. So a good coach is able to take you from A to B, right? It's not just, mm -hmm. A, here's your stuff. 
but can you help them navigate their life and be able to make it so that they actually follow the nutrition, actually show up for the workouts, do the things that they're supposed to be doing? Um, can you manage them? We get back to accountability. So uh, a lot of coaches like to just tell people what to do and you have some clients that are great responders to what you do and they do what, uh, what it is and they get amazing results. And us coaches, we like to take all the credit <laughs> for those clients, right? Uh, but what about the clients that are struggling? That for me defines if you're a good coach. Can you take that client from, you gave them the prescription, the prescription isn't working for them for whatever reason, can you take another tool out of the toolbox and figure out what's it gonna take for that client to take action so that they can get the result? Can you meet that client where they're at? And I think that is the separator between being a super successful business that drives results and then just being a mediocre business because if you can only help clients that follow directions, you're gonna help some people if your science is good. The science that we prescribe is, is freaking awesome. Yep. But what really drives it is the art of coaching and be able, being able to meet clients where they're at. So we spend a lot of time with our franchisees and the coaches on how to be better coaches mm -hmm. during the challenge so that they're better equipped and have the tools needed to meet that client where they're at and being able to help them obviously get to the, the end result, which it's it can be very messy depending on the client, the client's history. There's a lot of psychology, there's a lot of mental stuff, there's a lot of identity stuff that goes into it. So it's not just simply uh, prescribe nutrition and workouts because guess what? Most people have tried at least five diets, mm -hmm. at least five. And what we do is all scientifically backed, but ultimately it's probably not that much different than other diets that they have tried in the past because in order for a diet to work, ultimately you need to be in a caloric deficit, you need to get enough protein. That is fat loss 101, that is at the base of what we do, but it also needs to be sustainable. And unfortunately, sustainability means something different for every single client. And mm -hmm. your job as a coach is to help make it sustainable for that client, not just a one size fits all. And that's really what separates what we do at the franchise, which is really hard to scale, right? It's hard to scale the art. The we art. can scale the science because we're providing that to, to all our franchisees. That's but it. scaling the art is really the key and is really the driver between uh, getting clients decent results and getting clients great results. And that is something that we've baked into our challenges and baked into how we run and operate Fit Body Bootcamp. And I really believe that is a, a massive separator is we're focusing on how do we make better coaches, not just what's the science of what we do. Yeah, both the art and the science is uh, hugely important. Um, all right, my friend, uh, shifting gears here a little bit. We've talked about you know the journey and your success and kind of what you brought to the table, the value that you've brought um, to all of our Fit Body Blue Camp locations within your role and you know uh, through the trickle down effect to our clients. Um, we talked a little bit about the challenges. I know you said we could talk forever, but you know, give uh, the viewers, um, and it could be personal, it could be uh, you know, from your ownership hat on, or it could be both, but what would be the lowest, one of your lowest points in your you know, entrepreneur uh, experience and, and career, if you will? Um, what was the learning lessons? Kind of tell the story about it and how'd you overcome and really how did you get better from it? 
The, the lowest moments uh, of my life during the journey, I can think of two, and I would almost say they're equal. I know you're asking for one, but I feel like they're, they're, they're equal. Give us uh, two, buddy. Like I could just say 2020, and I think most people in the fitness industry would, would understand that. Um, I'm in Michigan, we're, we're in a blue state. We had one of the highest restrictions uh, humanly possible. Over the course of the year, uh, we lost nearly 2,000 clients at the, the lowest points. Uh, we've had to battle, we've made 10 different pivots to our training model. Pretty much every, every month or every couple of weeks, our governor would go on TV and we would have to make a pivot within three days and figure out how do we keep our doors open? How do we keep training our clients? But every time we made a pivot, this was the issue because people don't like change. Every time we made a pivot, we would get a rush of cancellations. So here we are like working our tails off to uh, figure this out. But every time we would have to notify our clients that, hey, we need to make these changes, uh, people would tag out because it was like their excuse to like, hey, I'm done when this blows over, I'll be back. Uh, but unfortunately, from a business perspective, uh, that starts to hurt. And over time, it, it really struggles because if you think about it, it, it pretty much we have a five mile radius for clients, right? Who we can actually work, who we can service, who we can help. Mm -hmm. So in that five mile radius, you're already limited to who you can train. And that five mile radius basically shrunk in half uh, at a time that you have clients leaving, right? Yep. Um, and then on top of that, with clients leaving, it affects team morale. Uh, you don't feel like you're winning when you're, you're getting all these cancellations. So our team is struggling with it. Our team is struggling with all the changes. So it was a year of navigating mindsets. And it just felt like we were in battle all the time with no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, and there's many times of like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? But the worst thing you can do in life is lose hope. I never lost hope, but there was many times where I'm like, man, I'm working so hard and I feel like nothing I do is good enough and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just losing. Um, but obviously that, that's a losing mentality. And it's very easy when, when you're losing to get into that mentality versus again, asking the right questions what can I do? How can I make this better? How can I improve this situation? And with that, you'll find some, some positive results. Um, good news is obviously now we're gaining momentum. Uh, I really believe in the fitness industry by September, things will be back to pre-COVID times when they were the best they, they've ever been. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's the ability to ride that out. And it is the ability to, a lot of people struggle in life because their lows are really low and they stay low for too long. Um, I'd be lying if I said I never got low, but I really pride myself on not allowing myself to get low or, or feel like I'm a victim of the situation because with your actions, you can improve the, the situation, right? The second worst thing that's ever happened to me in my fitness journey is I had to, to fire one of my best friends. He was the uh, facility leader of our, our second location and I had to fire him and mm -hmm. it sucked. I had to go back to, to being in the trenches. I had to deal with clients that were upset. I had to deal with a you know fairly broken relationship at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just one of the hardest decisions that I've ever had to make. Um, you know, After that, things got easier though, right? And, and I always love that 
first when you when you face a problem you feel like it's a level 10 problem mm -hmm. but then when you face enough uh, enough problems <laughs> what you thought was a level 10 you're like hey that's a level one yep I, you know I, I can do that in my sleep um so that was one of the lowest points of, of my life um at the time but it was definitely a blessing it was a blessing for me it was a blessing for him he's now super successful with with his own gyms and uh, being able to to help thousands of people uh, down in Florida now. So it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to him. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But at the time, it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever had to face. And, and going back to COVID, um, I mean, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone that they would ever have to do that. But the amount I learned about people and the amount of uh, leadership lessons that I've learned. I think I learned more in 10 years and you probably say the same thing, learn more in 10 years. Uh, I mean, more, more in one year than I would in 10 years. Right. Yeah. Um, so I know that as things get better, it is going to make me a better leader and it's going to make it so that we actually grow better and faster in the future. But we definitely had to eat a lot of crap sandwiches, uh, during 2020 and we're still eating crap sandwiches, but the thing that's unique with me and you is we're willing to eat as many crap sandwiches as needed. Yes, sir. It's so funny. Um, and we're, we're shooting this video at, uh, in mid-March of 2021. And uh, speaking of COVID, uh, you know, Facebook throws memories. And I just got a memory of my first at-home workout where I was just trying to corral the troops. And I saw that on my phone today. And I'm just thinking to myself, I wish I could tell that guy so much that I've learned just in these last 12 months. Because, man, we both and you know, the rest of our franchise have had a crash course in leadership and management and human nature over these last 12 months. It was um, a very long two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> yeah, two weeks, right? <laughs> um, all right, so um, kind of transitioning here, Matt, one of the things I, I pride you on and, and I love about you is you're a passionate guy. What would you say specifically um, you are most passionate about today? Most passionate about today is it's always been this way. I, I love seeing other people win. I love doing things that indirectly or directly help other people win uh, in their life. Uh, I used to get all the emails and the thank yous and the in-person stuff and the gifts. Uh, now I don't. Uh, I get an email every once in a blue moon uh, thanking me for, for everything I do. But I, obviously now I work indirectly through our franchisees. I work indirectly through um, our coaches. And when a client loses 50 pounds or 100 pounds, although I'm not the one prescribing their, their nutrition, I'm not the one... Uh, helping them at the workouts. I know indirectly I have an effect on that. And then with the franchise, when our franchisees come to us and tell us about the wins and, and how we've been able to impact them and help them inside of their business, uh, there's no better feeling. So those are the things that really jazz me up and, and get me excited and make everything that we do worth it. Amen to that. All right, uh, as our time is winding down, uh, I have a lightning round for you, my friend. So just uh, off the cuff here, but um, prior to all the success that you've achieved today, um, back when you were first starting uh, your, your entrepreneur efforts, um, what would you say would be, what was, I should say, the one thing holding you back to being the guy that you are today, you know, in, in hindsight? The thing holding me back from being who I am today is, is honestly, it's just belief systems. And... Um, I owe that to, to Bedros big time is one of the things that when I first got into Bedros's circle, um, one of the things that he always worked on was belief systems in, in your thoughts 
and believing that you can achieve anything. Anything is possible if you're willing to put in the work, but it all starts with your belief systems and our belief systems hold us back from, from taking the actions necessary. Um, whether that ties back to your childhood or ties back to uh, your upbringing, uh, who knows, but being able to work through, why do I have these negative beliefs? Because these negative beliefs don't serve me. And I already talked about it. Your brain goes to work to make your beliefs and your thoughts come true. So if you have terrible belief systems, you need to do the work, the internal work to figure out what's causing me to have these negative beliefs. Because if you continue to have them, they're gonna hold you back the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And you can blame your childhood, you can blame on things that happened to you in your life. Me and you have both faced things in our life that we could say, you know, these things happened to me, so therefore my life is this way, right? You become the victim and you victimize yourself. And I really see most people victimizing themselves and it's a choice to do that. You can choose to victimize yourself or you can choose to change your beliefs. You can choose to change your thoughts, which then will change your actions, which then changes your life. I always say you can um, choose to be the victim or you can choose to be the champion, but not both. And uh, you certainly, my friend, are a leading example of that. Um, all right, next up, you are in the business of giving incredible advice to your clients as well as our franchisees. Um, what would be the biggest or best advice that you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received, kind of twofold. So one is, you know, ultimately you're going to see the world through the lens that you choose to see the world through, right? So you can see possibility or you can see reasons why you can't. You can see positivity. You can see negativity. You get to choose the way you see the world. And one of the things that's helped me the most is I call it having a 3D lens. So everything I learned now, I look through a 3D lens and the 3D lens for me is how does this help me? How does this help my team? And then how does this help my clients? And for me, that's been the greatest gift is really understanding that. So whenever I listen to a podcast, whenever I read a book, whenever I take a course, whenever I go to a seminar, I look through those three lens of how do I learn this information and then how do I apply it and distill it down into those three things. So that's how I'm able to create and that's how I'm always able to kind of connect the dots and put the puzzle pieces together mm -hmm. is because I'm looking through a 3D lens and I feel like most people look through uh, a 1D lens, but I also feel like people look through a lens that doesn't serve them. So you can see all the wrong in the world if you're looking for it, right? But you can also see all the right in the world if you're looking for it. So if you don't like the way the world looks, change your lens. And, and for me, that, that's 100% uh, on you. And then one of the things that, that Bedros taught me a long time ago was uh, basically money is an exchange of value. The more value you provide to the marketplace, the more money you're gonna make. And a lot of times the value you bring is a direct correlation to the problems that you solve. And if you really think what entrepreneurship is, it's pretty much solving problems. All right, next up, huge, huge value there, Mateo. Um, you are both, or I guess we are both, but you specifically as well, um, are a student of habits and really how to create better habits. Uh, share one of your personal habits that has been a direct correlation to the success that you've achieved today. Uh, sleep. Uh, at the end of the day, for me, it's it's our foundational habits that we teach at boot camp, and the reason they're the foundational habits. So regular movements, 
we, we encourage people to work out at least three times a week, but ultimately regular movements, which is one of our Fit Body Core 5, um, sleep, so at least seven and a half hours of sleep every single night is critical for me. If I don't get my sleep, I don't operate correctly, and you probably don't want to deal with me. And I'm also not going to be thinking very big thoughts uh, without the sleep, right? And then hydration, getting at least half your body weight in water. I try to get a gallon every day, and I know that when I get a gallon every day, I just operate and think way differently than when I don't. So those are the three foundational habits for me. Those are the three foundational habits we teach our clients and everybody should do that. Next up, you are an avid reader. Uh, so what would be one book recommendation that Fitness Franchise Nation uh, needs to dive into and why? I would say The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone and it may be cliche. Um, I remember, and I keep saying Bedros, but Bedros gave me the book one time at a mastermind and I read it and it just opened my mind to thinking bigger um, and setting bigger goals but it also said if you set big goals, realize they're going to be 10 times harder than you think they're going to be as well. A lot of people set goals and they have the best of intentions in the world, but they don't realize how many crap sandwiches they're going to have to eat in order to achieve those goals. And if you want the goals, you got to be willing to eat the sandwich. Yes, indeed. All right, my friend, couple left. Um, imagine tomorrow uh, you wake up and you're in the same world, but all your accolades, all your success, all your um, you know, businesses have uh, went by the wayside, uh, but you do have the knowledge that you've acquired over these last 10 plus years in the field. Um, what does your next 30 days look like? Uh, the next 30 days, it doesn't even have to be 30 days. I would do basically R&D on what's the problems that need to be solved. And I'd go figure out how to solve those problems because again, people pay for you to solve their problems and the bigger the problem that you can solve for them, the more money that they will pay you because the more value that you provide. And the, the best story I've ever heard of this, and I've read the story twice from very uh, popular people on business development and they always use it. During the California gold rush, the person that like made the most amount of money was not digging for gold, he, he realized Thousands of people were coming here and they needed to dig for gold, but they didn't have equipment and they didn't have supplies. So what he did is he got the buckets, he got the shovels, he got the picks, and he supplied all the thousands of people coming for the gold rush. So he saw the problem and then he found the solution and he became a millionaire. And at that time, if you were to take what it was back then to now, it would be like hundreds of millions of dollars that he made because that was the problem and he solved it that no one else saw. Um, would you share a piece of parting advice or wisdom um, that will help our audience basically take the next step, whether it be business uh, or personal? So the, the best advice that I could leave anyone with, especially in today's culture, is don't be a victim. Um, ultimately, where you're at in life and where you're gonna be in life is a direct reflection of your actions nothing else, right? But what determines your actions is your beliefs and your thoughts. So if your actions aren't what need to drive the result that you're looking for, then you need to circle back and look at your belief systems and your thoughts and your identity, which are the beliefs and thoughts you hold true of yourself and work on those things and do the internal work, which then will lead to you taking those actions. But ultimately you decide your future. You got the pen in your hand, you get to write the next chapter in the book. Um, but it's all on you. It's no one else's fault. Take extreme ownership of everything that's happened in your life, 
Because when you do that, you take back control and then you get to write the next chapter in your life. But if you're a victim, you're giving the pen to somebody else and somebody else is writing the next chapter in your life. And I would just encourage you that you take back the pen. Well, my friend, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, before we go, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I also want to acknowledge you. Um, we've known each other for the better part of 10 years and really the last two years specifically, I've had the ple pleasure, honor, and privilege of working with you by side by side. And I want to acknowledge you because you are all heart. You are all passion. Um, you care so much, uh, which I absolutely love. And in a working relationship, um, you just execute. And uh, you know, I love that. I respect that. I respect you. And I know um, all of our listeners, I know all of our locations and clients worldwide um, have benefited because of your um, action taking and really your vision. So I want to acknowledge and thank you for that. And uh, thank you for being on the show, my friend. Thank you. All right. See you guys.